Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? I'm good, man. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Now, also, I have a special guest, uh, Jeffrey Farrell. Am I saying that right, Farrell, or for real? Farrell is, is, is the proper way I've been told. Farrell, got it. Yeah, thanks yes, for jumping sir. on, man. How's it going for you? Man, it's going great, man. I'm really grateful to have this chance to 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 chat with you, brothers, and uh, doing good, man. Post Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. Happy Bladed Father's Day to all the fathers out there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jeffrey, uh, tell us about what you do, man, uh, and also uh, you know, how many kids you got in their ages. Appreciate that. So uh, my main hat that I'm passionate about is, is entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm a financial professional, an independent financial professional. And I, I essentially, I tell people, I teach people how money works, right? And I think it's really important that people understand that. And uh, how I got involved in that is, um, you know, uh, I've, I've felt the hard knock effects of not knowing how money works growing up uh, with two parents who worked really hard, but just didn't understand. And we're never taught because it's not taught in school. And uh, I'm blessed to be uh, the father of three young men. My oldest is Jeff Jr. He's 24. The middle son is Kyle. He's 20. And then my youngest, uh, baby, but he says he's no baby, is uh, Gabriel. He's 13. Okay. All right. Oh, go ahead, Royce. No, go ahead. You got another? <laughs> no, go ahead, brother. You got it. Okay. All right. So, um, like, financial literacy is, like, really important. And um, that's probably, like, one of the things that's, uh, I guess, most lacking in, in a lot of, like, black households. So, like, what do you sure. teach your kids about uh, finances? Well, well, the first thing I come from, a, I come from a biblical uh, uh, dynamic or biblical focus. So first of all, I teach them that none of it belongs to us. It all belongs to God. Because when you leave here, somebody else is going to get it. Um, but I think the most important thing is to understand how to use it and leverage it in a way that serves other people. You know, when I was younger, I'm, by God's grace, I'm 48. Um, but, you know, when I was a young man, it was all about getting stuff right and uh i just have matriculated and matured in my thinking and that now i realize wealth is really about giving you the uh, the ability to serve others and also be able to create options and choices for your family so i teach them to um to to figure out how to make the world around them better with the resources that they have and money is one of those things right you have to um, learn how to manage it well. So just understanding, um, again, that it's, it's not just about, um, consumerism and being uh, a person that just worries about having nice stuff, although it's nothing wrong with having nice stuff, but just really understanding that money is a tool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I always yeah. say that money is a tool. <laughs> so you talked about like uh, opportunities and mm -hmm. I guess I've heard that there are three things in life that provide opportunities. So like money is one education or information 
the other yeah and connections so absolutely what do you think is most important when huh. uh trying to get an opportunity uh relationships by far mm-hmm. relationships by far because relationships can open doors that money can't um and so uh that's another thing that i i try to uh, emphasize and teach my, my my sons is is not really about uh I, I told my son when we sent him off to college a year ago i said it's not about the classes you take it's about the hands you shake mm. because at the end of the day some of these relationships will be lifelong relationships particularly if you if you nurture them in that way yeah and so you just never know you know where you've been but you don't know where you're going and so it's good to build great relationships with people because Sometimes it's that relationship that you didn't even realize you were going to need, but five, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you run into this situation where you need that relationship. And because you were just genuine in your approach and were a genuine good person, it opened a door for you that you couldn't have opened any other way. So by far, I would, I would say relationships matter the most. People matter. Yeah, that's dope. Stuff doesn't. Yeah. So uh, how would you say your uh, your parents were with money and uh, what did they teach you? Uh, what was the biggest lesson like your dad taught you about uh, finances? Wow. So it's interesting. There were not a lot of overt lessons. I learned most of it by observation. Um, and some of it I had to, I had to unlearn, right? Uh, one of the things I thought growing up was that it was just always a struggle to make money. Well, that's not necessarily true. Um, what I've learned is, is that money comes to those who solve problems. So if you look into the marketplace and you can solve a big problem, you can make a lot of money. And so it's, it's, uh, I, I say that's very important to understand. Also, um, learning to not work for money. I don't work for money. I work to make a make an impact and make a difference and with a purpose. And as a result, money comes from that. Money, money will just flow. Um, and so, you know, I learned work ethic from my parents because they both were born in the South. My mom's from Mississippi. My dad's from Alabama. And, uh, you know, my mom grew up picking cotton. She, she talked a lot about that um, when she was growing up. If it was sunny outside, they didn't get to go to school. They had to go go out in the field and pick cotton. They only went to school when it was when it was raining, and they couldn't go out in the field. Uh, my dad grew up in uh, in uh, kind of a uh, military town, and just was always a hustler. He started working when he was like fourteen years old, and after he was fourteen, he never asked his parents for a dime. After that, he was able to kind of take care of himself. Uh, left home at eighteen, came to Chicago, and has been here ever since. Um, so I learned work ethic from them. I learned uh, t- to treat people well from them. Didn't learn a lot about money because no one taught them. So they, they did what they knew to do, right? They tried to save a few pennies here. But, you know, because no one actually sat them down and taught them wealth concepts, right? So you can, you can be a hard worker. You can make good money. But if you don't understand what to do with that money, how to make that money work for you, and just how money works in general, you can die like 96% of the people do, and that's broke. So can you talk about your relationship with your father and how um, 
you all, I guess, y'all relationship were when you were growing up? Oh, man, that's good. Good question. So uh, my dad is, uh, he's 81. He was born in 1939. And, you know, he grew up in the midst of Jim Crow, segregation, all of that. And uh, he was a very strong disciplinarian. Uh, in fact, uh, growing up in my household, by the time he finished giving you instructions, you should be already moving in the direction of which he told you to go. Or else there would be something to feel, if you get what I'm saying. So growing up, I didn't have the greatest relationship with him because you know, I always felt like he was just out to beat my butt, right? I thought that that was the only way I could relate to him was, you know, I messed up, he, he about to beat my butt. But it wasn't until I had my first son, my son was born when I was 24, um, that I came to realize what my dad was trying to do for me, which he did. He taught me, you know, the, the importance of discipline, the importance of being a man of your word. Um, I watched my dad go to work every day. And uh, I, I can count on one hand the times that I saw him take off work. Uh, you know, he's just a hard worker providing for his family. He led us to church. He didn't send us to church. He led us to church. And um, so I learned a lot about how to raise my boys based on how he raised me. Um, loving my mom. He loved my mom till she took her last breath at age 75. They were married for 52 years. So he taught me what it means to be uh, uh, just a, a good man that uh, takes care of his family. And um, I'm grateful to still have him today because I'm just valuing him even more as I get older, just to have him still around. And just yesterday, during Father's Day, I just was asking him questions about when he grew up, when he first came to Chicago and experiencing racism and how did he deal with it and all that stuff. Because... I'm seeing now the importance of legacy and the the importance of being able to pass something on that's uh, the intangibles to be able to pass on to the next generation. So, yeah, I learned a lot. I've learned a lot from him and I'm still learning from him. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, like the racism part, like um, how, how did those conversations go with your dad uh, back when you guys were having them and, uh, how are those conversations going on now with your with your sons as they you know, become adults and navigate these waters that we're currently yeah. in? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, you know, I asked him yesterday. I said, "How old were you when you first realized racism? When you first experienced racism?" And uh, he talked about um, in the town he grew up in. He said there was a wealthy side of town where wealthy white people lived. The wealthy entrepreneurs, business owners, that, that side of town, he would deliver, he would deliver medicine to them on his bike. Um, he said that side of town, he never had any issues with, never had any issues with. It was the poor white side of town that he heard the N word that he heard, you know, people say things to him and treat him a certain kind of way. He uh, also shared me a time where some, some guys were, were trying to attack him. You know, they saw him on his bike and they, they went after him. He was just able to get away, you know. Um, so we didn't talk a lot about that growing up. Uh, I remember uh, growing up on the south side of Chicago, uh, there's, there's, there was an invisible line 
um, on the south side of Chicago going west, and that was Western Avenue. You didn't go across Western Avenue. It just wasn't safe. I was always told, if you're riding your bike, do not go past Western. And, um, you know, it just, it was, it was what it was. Um, and so I'm now, um, I'm wrestling a lot, man, in trying to communicate with my sons as to how we live in the current climates that we live in. Because on the one hand, it feels like those though we've made, there have been some progress, I'll say, just haven't been much change, not real substantive change. And um, I just try to, to get them to think at a different level and not respond out of their emotions all of the time, but to really think through the choices and decisions that they make, how they show up when they're in mixed company or when they show up in uh, situations where they feeling like, you know, they're being treated a certain way because of the color of their skin. My boys happen to be big boys too. So I, I talked to them about um, the fact that black men just in general are always seen as a threat. And the bigger you are, the bigger the threat you are. So you have to carry yourself in such a way, you know, not, not that you have to shrink back who you are, but at the same time, uh, don't give people an excuse, is, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so, um, you know, these past, past, past few years, particularly with George Floyd, and we could go on, we could run down the gamut of the list of names of people who've been killed. Um, each time, man, it just, it, it hits me so deeply emotionally because you can't, hear about another young black man being killed and not think about your own. And uh, I just, I want them to come home to me. I want, I want them to make it home safe. And so I talk a lot about, man, do whatever it takes to get home safe. You know, we'll deal with whatever the issue is later, but do what it takes to get home safe. So that's the message I've been, I've been trying to convey to them. So, like, what do you um, what do you want for your children? Like, if you can give your kids all three, like, all three of your kids anything, what what would you want to give them? Oh man, um, that's 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 a great question. Uh, me and my business partner, we do a lot of talking around uh, legacy and, and what we want to leave to our families. You know, obviously, we want to leave some tangible wealth, but more importantly is the wisdom of how to maintain, grow what we've, what we're leaving to them, not just financially, but relationally, right? And understanding um, how you got to work on you as a person, just be a better man. Don't, don't satisfy, don't, don't, don't become satisfied with status quo because you're good or you're great at something you know, keep working at your craft. Um, one of the things, you know, <laughs> my, my boys, we always have these, these back and forth discussions around who the GOAT is as it relates to basketball. And uh, let me just go on record. There is no question in my mind, Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the GOAT. There you go, Unquestionably. Man. Clear it up. <laughs> Unquestionably, okay? 
And it is because he worked so hard on his craft, um, not, not just making himself better, but making those people around him better. Uh, and so I, I talk about that sometimes you are born with a level of talent that just, that's God's grace to you. That's God's gift to you. But what you do with that talent, how you hone it, how you, how you cultivate it, takes that to a whole new level. Because my point with, with Jordan is, is, is he wasn't really, he didn't have that great a talent in high school. He had to work on his game. And even when he came into the league, nobody knew he was going to be what he was, right? Because he kept just working on himself and getting better. And he had a relentless work ethic. And I think if I could give something to my kids, that's one of the things I want to give them, a relentless work ethic at getting better, whatever it is, whatever God's called you to. One of the things I talk to my kids about is, is I, I want you to discover what, why God put you here, right? You know, we're born, we're literally one in a mil- in millions, right? <laughs> if we're talking biologically, we're one in millions that we actually are born. And so I don't think that that's by mistake. I don't think that that's by, you know, just the luck of the lot. I think God's put, God puts us here with intention and purpose. And so you need to find out what that is and man, pursue it like crazy, you know, burn all bridges and pull out all stops to discover what your purpose is and why he put you here and then do it to the best of your ability. Cause that's where you're going to find fulfillment. I think that's where you're going to find, you know, just a well-lived life is when a person really does what God put them here to do and they do it to the best of their ability. That's good stuff. You, you're not just here because you was the fastest swimmer, right? No, man. <laughs> no. No, you, you, you're here because God has purpose for you. Um, you know, I, I hope this is okay that I share. Um, in Genesis, the Bible says that uh, God, God scooped, he, he, he fashioned man in his hands, and then he breathed into him the breath of life. And then he said, you know, uh, let us make man uh, in our own image that he can have dominion, right? So we're here, to, we're here to take dominion over the earth, not over people, but over the earth. Yeah. That means get the best out of what, what's here, cultivate it, make it better. And so, you know, that's, that, that, that's, that's purpose, man. And uh, that's intention. God didn't just say, uh, I guess I need somebody around here. Let me throw something together. No, he, he, he has some real intention behind what he did. And when you think about how the human, just the human body, how it works, it's amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I want to, I want to, I want, when I, when I leave here, man, I want to leave a life that was well-lived that people say, you know what, Jeff maxed it out. He, he did the, he did the most he could with what he had, you know, does that mean perfection? No, but it just means, man, you're going for it. And tomorrow is over. Yesterday is over with. And tomorrow is a hope. All I got is right now. So what I got, what I what I have, I'm going to do the best I can with. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I asked you a question uh, before we got on this call, Jeffrey. Uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And uh, Jeffrey, you said, it's a tremendous responsibility to provide, protect, and prepare my children to fulfill their kingdom purpose. So you kind of spoke on purpose. 
uh, kind of go into, if you can go into uh, kingdom purpose, what would you uh, say that is? It is, it is to bring the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God. Now I took that from Tony Evans. Tony yeah. Evans in his book, Kingdom Agenda talks about that. And what I believe that means is, is, is God has a perspective and a, and a, and a, a mindset and a, and a will towards everything in life. And so let's say in the financial industry, right? I believe my purpose, my kingdom purpose is to teach people how to have dominion over their finances. Not so they can just do a bunch of stupid stuff and buy a bunch of dumb stuff, but so that money doesn't control you. Because what I've learned is, is a lot of people have to make decisions based on their, them being a slave to money. Well, I got to take this job because it pays this amount of money and I need that amount of money to pay all of my debt back, all of my bills, instead of being in a pay, place of, of power to say, I do this not for the money, but I do this is because this is what God needed me to do, or this is what God wants me to do. And I want to bring God's perspective to this particular place that I'm working. So if, if you're a coach, if you're a street sweeper, whatever you do, do it. Uh, so that people look at that and say, that's just not some Joe Blow. That's not just the average. I mean, this guy's exceptional at what he does. And there's something God-like about how he does what he does. I want people to get a view of who God is uh, in me doing what I do. And I think that's what everybody's purpose should be. Is, to, is, is people get a glimpse of who God is because you do what you do, how you do what you do. You know, when um, you talked about like relationships being um, the, the best way to provide opportunity and um, and when you were talking about your sons, like what you wanted to, to uh, what you wanted to give them, you were saying mm -hmm. you were telling them to like uh, burn, you know, every bridge, you know, pursue, you know, your purpose, find your purpose. It made me think about this question. So have you ever been in a situation where you burned a bridge, either like uh, personally or professionally, that you think back now, like, man, I shouldn't have did that? Mm. I, so this, this is, this is, this is, this is good, right? Um, I burned a bridge, but not intentionally. Okay. Um, uh, I I I uh, had a a relationship um, that lasted nearly two decades uh, with a with a with a person that I highly respected. That in a lot of ways I felt indebted to, mm. and um, you know uh, I had a lot of high hopes of where things could go as a result of that relationship. But it got to a place where my personal integrity was at stake. And uh, I went to this person to, to have a, 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 a heart to heart with the hopes of the relationship would be, would, would be, um, the relationship would be maintained and that, you know, it would even be stronger as a result. 
but unfortunately the, the relationship was dissolved as, as a result of that. And, and um, you know, there are some regrets that I have. Let me say that. It's not regrets. Um, it's that I wish it had worked out differently. Um, um, and even, you know, to the point of I was holding out hope that it could be reconciled. But, you know, I did all that I could to, to try to maintain the integrity of, of the relationship and do as much as I could on my part to, to, to heal and, and restore things. But sometimes it's just, that's, there's nothing you can do about that. So I, I want to live from a place that when things like that do happen, I can walk away with a clear conscience, right? I don't want to, I don't believe in burning relationships or burning bridges for the sake of burning a bridge. Um, uh, but I think that um, there are some reasons and some, and some points and times that you have to decide this was this 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 can't go any further because it's outlived its purpose or it's it's it just no longer aligns with my convictions and at the end of the day uh, I want to teach my boys to have integrity that's who you are when nobody's watching and so if I can't look me in the mirror if I'm not okay with the guy I shave you know that's a problem and so that's that's why I want to live my life in that way so Sometimes that does mean you got to sever a relationship. But also, here's another caveat to that, is I think always be a big, big enough person to reconcile, be looking towards reconciliation. I think um, there's a passage in scripture that just talks about uh, we always are looking to be reconciled with our brothers and our sisters. If, if there's a break in the relationship, you know, we always look towards possibly reconciling if, if it's possible. So, yeah. So if that person came back and was like, you know, I was wrong about this, uh, let's continue the relationship. What would you do? Absolutely, man. I, I warmly <laughs> embrace them, and, and and it would be forgotten as if it never happened. Because you know why? <laughs> Ask me why. Why? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've screwed up enough myself, mm. and had to apologize, and had to go back to people. And say, you know what, I had it wrong. And so uh, I just I believe in extending grace to people because so much has been extended, so much grace has been extended to me. So, no, far as I'm concerned, nobody can ever do as much to me or as, offend me as much as I've offended God. And because I'm desperately in need of God's mercy and His forgiveness and His grace in my life, I can always extend that to somebody else. That's good stuff. Bro. Hey man, this, we gonna have to put this one in the Hall of Fame too. Man. Yeah, Hall of Fame. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> now we've been having a lot of great uh, conversations with men, man. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, really connecting with people on another level, man. And uh, I thank you for for that's sharing good. everything you've been sharing because that's been you know really beneficial not just to everybody listening, but to to myself. And uh, I can. You know, I can't speak for Dr. Ahim, but I'm pretty sure for him, too. Um, but, yeah, man, um, I would say this. Uh, well, another question for you. Um, what has changed in, in uh, for you since you've become a dad from the moment that you first found out until right now, 2021? What's been the biggest shift 
if you will, since the 24-year-old Jeffrey on the scene to to right now, 48, and uh, you know, vantage point. You know what I'm saying? Like, what what's changed the most? Wow. Probably um, giving up the right to be right and giving up the right to win. Um, I'm just, I'm competitive by nature. That's just my makeup. I played football in high school, a little bit in college. And uh, I always had the the mentality and the the mindset that the guy across from me is just not going to beat me. I don't care what I got to do. Scratch, claw, bite, whatever. I'm a win, and uh, I've I've learned that um, winning at at all costs is not is not sustainable. And at some point, the cost gets too high. Um, I, in a moment of transparency, uh, uh, I made grave mistakes and. and and uh, how I disciplined my oldest son. And he looks at how I handle my youngest son. He can go, man, he get away with murder. I said, no, son, he just, I've learned, I've just learned over the course of time how to do it better. I apologize, I made some mistakes, you know, but I've just learned how to do it better. And so um, that's the thing that's changed the most, man, is just realizing, okay, I don't have to win this battle with my wife on, on how we ought to proceed with this, with this particular situation right here. Um, I don't have to win in getting my way about this particular thing. You know, let's, let's learn how we can hear each other, work together and seek the best resolution possible for all parties involved. And, and first and doing what's best for the kid, right. At, at the end of the day, uh, doing what's best for the kids. So just learning to take your 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 wants, your wishes, your desires off the table. The other thing I've learned is these boys ain't mine. They belong to God. God just gave them to me to to uh, disciple. To He's lent them to me to to kind of steer them, but ultimately they belong to Him. Uh, and so you know, I had all these high hopes of. You know, what I thought my boys would be and do and want to do and all that. And I've just kind of laid that at, at, at the altar and said, God, you do with them what you want to do with them. Because he has a better plan and a better purpose for them than I did. So, yeah. Does that answer that? Yeah. I don't know. He might have stepped away. but. Okay. I, I do have like a follow-up question. Uh, when did you come to like that conclusion that, you know, your kids aren't, I mean, they're your kids, but they don't necessarily belong to you. <laughs> so, uh, struggled in the teenage years with the oldest son, mm. um, to the point that when he was 18, he decided he didn't like my rules no more. So he went and left and went to go live with another, another relative. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationship was just severed for a number of years. And the pain of that um, brought me to a new place of realization that you can be right and kill the relationship. And it's like, okay, 
yeah, you were right, but you ain't got no relationship. And so, you know, now I've learned that there's, there's another way to, there's another way to bring about the same desired outcome without, without being a bull in the China shop. That was what I was. I was, I would, I would go through, you know, all kind of antics to get, get my point across. And I basically, I parented by intimidation, you know, because I'm bigger, stronger and can, and can lay something on your behind. I'm gonna get you to do what I want you to do. Well, that only works for a little while. When they get to be teenagers and at a certain point, that doesn't really work anymore. And it's not effective long-term. But if I can get to the heart of you, if I can help help peel the, the, the layers, the onion, the layers of the onion of your heart and, and lay that exposed and connect to you heart to heart as, as your father who you know loves you, then that has a far better, stronger reach than me holding a belt, you know, and, and telling you, you're going to do what I say, you know, because at a certain point, again, that that's just, you know, it, it, it gets to be two bulls bumping up against each other in the China shop. And that, that makes for a real big mess. So I just, I've learned that um, uh, relationships matter relationships matter and as a father I want my kids to no matter how bad they screw up no matter how bad the mess up I want them to always feel like I can go I can call my dad I can call my daddy he gonna still he gonna still love me he gonna still take care of me he's still gonna find a way to to do what needs to be done because that's that's what God does for us that's it's, it's, and that's the, that's the, so let me go back to that, that previous question about what's changed. That's what's changed. So growing up, my view of who God is was based on my relationship with my dad. And because I thought of my dad as always wanting to beat my butt and to crush me when I messed up, I thought that way about God. And so over these 24 years, I've learned that God loves me, man. That's, and, and, and God loves me knowing all there is to know about me. <laughs> See, y'all don't know all my stuff, but God does. And he still loves me. That is amazing. And that God never pushes me away, never throws me away, even at my worst mess up. God still stands there with his hands extended to me, welcoming me back, wanting me back. That blows my mind. And so that, that's what's changed for me, is realizing how much God loves me. And I'm just trying to reflect that and show that same love to my kids and to everybody that I come in contact with. Man, well said, man, well said. Yeah, I think we do have a lot of power uh, over how our kids, you know, end up or wind up. And uh, you have adult men now, like you have people that are considered men now in society. So I can only yeah. imagine you seeing the men that they are now and what they're going to become. Like that's, that has to be uh, exciting from your side. Like I can only imagine. 
Well, I, I'm staying prayerful, man, because <laughs> they still do a fair amount of messing up. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I've been reminded of is, you know, the same grace God captured my heart, he can capture theirs. So, you know, again, just maintaining that relationship, man. And again, at the end of the day, I want them to want them to, to know no matter what, no matter how bad the mess up, no matter what they do, I'm always love. I don't care what happens. You know, has your dad, uh, you said your dad is 83? 81. Oh, 81? Yeah. Has, um, has your dad ever given you advice on parenting? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, he's 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 dropped a, a nugget or two here or there. Okay. Um, <laughs> he he. Um, but it's it's, it's so is is it's, it's interesting, and and some of this is starting to just come come full circle for me as as helping me to better understand him based on how he was parented and his dad and his relationship with his dad. Um, and so I, it just, when, in listening to him talk about his father and how his father conducted the household made him make a, a lot more sense to me now than he did when I was growing up. Uh, and so my dad is, is, is again, he's not a man of a whole lot of words, as far as sitting down and saying, well, son, here's what you need to do. But his example, you know, he, he does it by demonstration. And you, it's, it's just up to you through the Socratic me method to sit back and kind of observe and come to your own conclusion. Um, but even how, he, you know, how he treats me now and how we, how we interact now uh, just is, is, is a lot of wisdom there, you know. He's just a loving, gracious, kind man um, who who really loves his family, you know. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of all your kids, who would you say is most like your your dad? <laughs> like my dad? Yeah. Who do you see the most? Like out of all of them. Probably the oldest one. <laughs> How so? Because because he he he's more like me than he wants to admit, and probably than more than I want to admit too. Um, just uh, I, and all my boys have have this same characteristic. By nature, they're they're just protectors. Um, they're protectors, and they they are they uh, care about people, and they 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 want to do the right thing um and so that that's that's been my dad's that's that's what i uh love about him is uh he just carried himself in such a way that uh he's respected you know i haven't heard about him running around with women you know i haven't i haven't run into any new brothers and sisters uh you know he 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 went to work took care of his family he's he hung in there you know he did whatever it took to make sure we had what we needed um and uh 
my boys, especially the two older ones, they they really have a they really have a drive to to you know to grind and to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so yeah, and, and that that oldest one, by the way, he's he's real stiff necked. <laughs> he he's and that's that's I I think feral men have a have a reputation of being stubborn. I know that my wife would probably affirm that. <laughs> All right, Jeffrey. So we're getting close to time. So I, I have one last question for you. Um, All right. If you could give advice, like any piece of advice to a young dad, uh, what would it be? Oh man, um, I would say build the relationship and maintain, continually maintain and grow the relationship. Um, the one, the, the one thing that I wish I had done a better job of is I think that there is a there is a shift that happens for young black boys around fifth or sixth grade where um, they try to, you, you, you're not as, you're not their hero anymore as you once were. You know, when they're little, when they're little guys, you're so much bigger and so much stronger than them. You just naturally their hero. Anything you do is like the best in the world. But then when they start getting, getting friends and buddies and seeing other men, they start to not view you in the same light but you have to still press in to, to, to continue to maintain the relationship. So it's so important uh, for fathers to show up, particularly in the life of the, the young men in those critical times, because they're searching for their identity. And then I understand from, I don't, though I don't have daughters, I do understand that girls get a large part of, of how they view themselves as, as young women from how their father treats them. And they, they look for a man that's going to be something like their father. So I would say to a young, young father, man, do everything you can to, to be uh, a part of your kid's life. Don't center, don't, don't, don't fit them in where you can, but build your life around pouring into them and, and influencing them and having a strong relationship with them because it's going to pay dividends. For their for their benefit, right? That's that's what I'm trying to say. Because when when kids need us the most, is is you know, in those teenage years and those young adult years, when they're trying to find themselves, trying to find their identity in a world that's sending them all kinds of messages, they gotta have clear voices from the people who love them the most. And they're going to stress, they're going to, they're going to test that relationship, right? It's going to be a testing to see, you know, how much you do love them um, because they're going to push against it. But at the end of the day, if you stand that test, if you hang in there, you know, they, they're going to come out on the other side and realize that, that you really love them. So just man, invest all that you can as far as time and, and developing that relationship. And in those early years, that's that's really important. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so again, it's uh it's one of the Hall of Famers, man. We gonna go add it to the rafters, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we definitely want to. I want to do a uh, part two, part three with you, man, because I know you got some more uh, some more aha moments. Right man, I, I would love to. I yeah. would love to. Shout out, shout out to James Farrell, my dad, 
Yeah. Because I am who I am because of him. And even shout out to Hartnett Fair, God rest his soul, uh, my granddad. Uh, but, you know, I've just got a rich legacy that I'm proud of, of um, men who, who did what they needed to do for their families. Yeah. That's something that's good to be stubborn about. You know, if you had to be stubborn about something. <laughs> yeah. Seems like yeah. that's been passed down from generation to generation, man. So, so shout out to the Pharaohs. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, if people had to reach out to you, Jeffrey, man, where would you want to send them? Man, you can hit me up on uh, Instagram. It's Jeffrey How Money Works Feral. Jeffrey How Money Works Feral on Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook on the Jeffrey Feral. Uh, no aliases. I'm just who I am. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter. I don't tweet as much, but, you know, Instagram and Facebook is, is pretty much where I hang out. Gotcha. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, uh, Dr. Raheem, did you have anything else before we close out? No, no other questions, man. I just want to uh, say thank you, Jeffrey. It, it was a pleasure, man. It, this is a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer. Man, <laughs> uh, the pleasure is mine, man. Uh, I love I love it. You know, welcome to fatherhood. That's awesome. When I first saw the when I first saw the acronym, the letters, I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> but that's that's dope, man. That's dope. That's a, that's the messaging we need, um, because uh, the world wants to suggest that fathers are not necessarily needed, um, or that we're only for economic support. Yeah. And there's so much more that we have to contribute and that we're needed for. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys for doing this. Yeah, thank, thank you, man. We appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Definitely yeah. like Yeah. All right. So we have to wrap up. We'll your reality for Dr. Ryan Miller, for Jeffrey Curry, and the Phil. Thank you for listening to WCFC. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, wtfatherhood.org. Also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.